0: Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode.
1: Welcome to Shane East Meets, which is a special series from the Audiobook Lovin' podcast, where I... Shane East, get to meet some of your favorite people from the romance arena of audiobooks. Okay, welcome to uh, today's episode of Shane East Meets, which is actually my fourth episode. And this particular episode is part of the audiobook loving series, celebrating audiobook month. Put my teeth in. Uh, and my guest I to is... Up. You gotta fix that in post. <laughs> don't start, don't start. <laughs> um And my guest is a guy who's not afraid to speak. Uh, Joe Arden, uh, a very good friend of me, uh, a very celebrated uh, audiobook narrator uh, in romance circles. Hello. Hello, Shane.
2: <laughs> Hi, Joe. That was my that was my attempt at a at a Newman. Hello,
1: Newman. Hello, That's... Shane. I don't even know what that means. We've already oh got after uh... some nonsense. <clears throat> That's a Seinfeld reference. Mm. Have you
2: have you never seen any Seinfeld?
1: I have seen some, but it wasn't such a uh, must-watch-every-episode as it was here, I think.
2: Yeah. So uh, I, I, I lived in Scotland for a year, and I was, uh, was quote-unquote, studying abroad, and I actually took a British culture class. And one week, we covered comedy. And basically, the teacher talked about how Brits just don't find the things that Americans find funny as funny mm-hmm. and it was it kind of like blew my mind and then because there were, there are so many british comedians that i love so i was like wow i'm so shocked that this doesn't seem to translate in both directions or just normally and i think seinfeld is a very it is a very american show it has a very kind of american sort of both nihilistic and materialistic sensibility to it that makes it sort of quintessentially american i think
1: yeah there's something about jerry seinfeld i love him now but maybe it's because i've been here Eleven years. I love watching comedians in cars and stuff and just watching his other stuff. Um, but I think when I was younger, being a true Brit, I was like, what? Uh about something like Seinfeld.
2: Um anyway, Wayne Knight, the actor from Jurassic Park, you probably know him from, he is uh the mailman and his name is Newman and he's just like he's Jerry's arch nemesis. They have the most
1: petty rivalry in the history of the universe. Well, I just want to say to listeners, welcome to the episode dedicated to Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, where that came from, but I love it. I I learn something new talking to you every day. Um, I did want to ask you an opening question, actually, uh, which is very pertinent uh, at the minute. And it's it's a two-part question before you, because I know you like to jump in. Um, how does it feel, first of all? first of all, First off, to be part of the newest, hottest power couple in audiobooks, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and second, <laughs> what would you have as a hashtag? I have a few <laughs> a few ideas that just sort of like came to me. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's quite bad. Uh, my first one was hashtag Chardon, which uh, I think has connotations of uh, certain things not so great uh yeah that's terrible yeah it sounds like you shuffled. i have i have like
2: already hold on i've I still got already, three more
1: I've oh, st- <laughs> oh my god
0: jesus Christ. So let me know when you can't get, can get a fucking word in. in. I'm not,
2: you can't get a word in you've all you is <laughs> talking
1: uh okay no it's trust me after this is gonna be all you um hashtag jest <laughs> which again bad <laughs> kind of connotations Hashtag Jane, which I think is really off the mark and really goes to a different place that we're not trying to go with. Uh, And hashtag show, which to be both names uh, fairly would be spelt more shoe, s h. I was going to
2: say, isn't that going to be spelled shoe?
1: (laughs) But I kind of thought show, you know, and I just was like, I left off the E. So really that leaves you up the shitter with just one letter. But uh, And I have one more, but I'm not going to tell you that because this is my favorite one. But uh, I just wanted to know what you thought. A of that first well, question and B of those hashtags.
2: If if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I have already jumped in on this. I have weighed in, um, and that line has been drawn in the sand, and it is Eden. Hashtag uh, E-A-D-E-N. E-A-D-E-N, uh, Okay. It's the first half of yeah. your last name. The last half of my last of your name. letters. I, yeah. While I do have one more letter, um, it also. It also is a homophone for, uh, for the place of pure bliss and joy. So I don't see why the two of us can't exist in a place of pure of... bliss and
1: joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no comment on that one. Um, but I actually had that one too. Maybe I got it off of Twitter. Maybe that's maybe subliminally. I actually hadn't realized that you'd done this already uh, and create a hashtag for the hottest new power couple in audiobooks. Um, But then you haven't answered the first part of the question. How do you feel about that, isn't it?
2: (laughs) It's very hard for me to keep up with multifaceted questions. Why aren't aren't you letting me
1: answer them one at a time? (laughs) I'm trying to bamboozle
2: you. (laughs) Okay, returning to the first question that I wasn't allowed to answer in this interview. i am I'm thrilled to be the 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 power bottom loose top <laughs> oh, of the what? of the dynamic uh, romance couple that is uh, hashtag Eden. Oh. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so. i've had I had an absolute blast recording this book with you. I was only sorry that we couldn't do it in person because of the restrictions of uh, the the world are under right now. Um, That seemed in everybody's safety and interest, but I had an absolute blast working with you and I love exploring the totality of the expression of love as you and I are recording this interview. um, And I don't think this will air today, but but as of today, the Supreme Court just uh, included gender identity in its fold for uh discrimination practices and uh, frankly i think that that sensibility is long overdue i am shocked that there are three supreme court justices that do not see Mm -hmm. how clearly sexual identity and gender identity fold into race and gender and other elements that are already protected under the law um i am happy that, that that has been introduced and so for you and i who i think navigate primarily in heterosexual monogamous storytelling yeah um to be able to and we we deviate from that i think sometimes but um to be able to explore another side of that same coin is is a treat and a joy and you're talented and you're professional and so why would I not want to tell a story about love with a talented professional?
1: I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, and we can get we can move further into uh, how great you think I am later on, but uh I do uh agree. I just want to concur with what you said. I heard that on the news as well today, and I was like, wow hey I, I was I couldn't believe that I was ignorant of that fact that that wasn't enshrined yet, uh, but was also very thrilled that that actually has gone through um. And also surprised that three people on the Supreme Court think uh, that that's still not, shouldn't be the case. But anyway, it's through and it's good and it's a good day, uh, which will take good days at the minute, I think. We will take we them good days. <laughs> as much as possible. Um, now, you can make this next question very short if you want, because I don't know how many interviews you've done. I haven't um, listened to other ones. Unfortunately, I've missed out. Uh, how did... Joe Arden, romance narrator extraordinaire, come into being. Like, essentially, where did that hot mess come from? Is my question.
2: Um, are you talking about the persona? Are you talking about the name? Um, what? Just how what you began. Like how? Who?
1: How was he born? Because I know you. You know you've acted. Like you're. You have a whole creative background. But like Joe Arden, romance narrator. Like when did that begin? Did that begin by accident? Uh, was it intentional? Did it just take off? Like
2: so my romance persona was actually born from the desire to protect whatever fans i may have had in the industry prior to doing romance and that's because i specialized in or i had a lot of titles that were sort of sci-fi fantasy books that had younger lead characters And they seemed kind of geared toward a younger audience. And I was asked by a company if I wanted to narrate actually a collection of uh, homoerotic short stories. And I had no problem doing material like that. But I was concerned that if anyone was actually interested in listening to what I was reading that they wouldn't quite catch on, that the title was close enough to a normal (laughs) title. And I didn't want to, I just didn't want to expose, especially any listeners that may have been minors, um, I didn't want to expose them to searching for titles in some sci-fi fantasy universe and then coming across something that they may not have been developmentally ready for. So I came up with a pseudonym because I wanted to differentiate those entities for the fans, not for me. So that sure. was, that's where I, that came from, actually. but
1: Did he, but I guess my question is more on the lines of like, not the choice of having a persona, but the venture into romance, because now you've kind of uh, become a very well known for that genre as well. And I think like you've concentrated on that genre to a degree, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, So I guess I'm saying like, did you then just keep falling into it? Did people love it so much that then you got offered more of that type of work and it just grew and grew and grew? Um, How did Joe become who he is now?
2: Romance represents 50% of my workload and obviously 100% of my persona's workload. So Joe Arden is the romance and erotica persona. And I, Again, I, I fell into it because the company asked me if I wanted to do this collection of short stories and I was fine to do it. And a few more titles kind of came along that were in that vein. And I had just sort of made a hard and fast rule at the outset that if the story was about love or people coupling in some way, then just uh, let's use this name, Joe. and. Some of the early ones were well-reviewed, and I was working with some authors that at the time I didn't know, but who were very good and extremely well-lauded in their industry. And it just kind of kept going, and I kept Mm -hmm. getting titles. And it was a fascinating world to explore, and I absolutely adore the fan base. I appreciate the subject matter. I really work to kind of advocate for positivity in the genre because I think um, frequently the genre as a literary genre and as a sort of fan entity are really kind of disparaged and uh, it's, it's a fascinating way that women seem to sort of demean or belittle other women and I find that really kind of gross. And I love being able to celebrate these stories and bringing my acting background to the table and uh, allowing those skills to kind of come front and center in all these love stories. I mean, it's mm-hmm. amazing. I've, <laughs> I get to sit in uh, you know pajamas or a t-shirt and basketball shorts. Um, Or on a hot day, just the basketball shorts and tell something like 350 love stories and get to be the hero every time. Like, Mm. why wouldn't I want to keep doing that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think romance is such a genre that if it, uh, like you say, you can kind of slip into it. I slipped into it uh, unintentionally too by being offered something. And then it's a beast that sort of once it gets hold of you and loves you, like you get propelled forward of its own momentum because the fan base is so strong so into people they get so invested in authors and now especially narrators as well um and i guess that leads on to my other question with did you have initial preconceptions other than you said you were happy to do romance as as long as there was like a central love story that you connected with but did you have initial preconceptions judgments or just thoughts on it because as you touched on people do and i've encountered that as well
2: I think I was definitely guilty of having the Fabio bodice ripper (laughs) idea about romance. Basically, I think I thought all romance was like Regency romance. Um, So I was totally ignorant to the diversity and the complexity found within the genre. And even though the books are by necessity or definition or interest level very trope driven um there's so much emphasis on the emotional journey that there's still so Mm. much ground to cover so that the plot is secondary to the feelings that the characters evoke in one another and out of themselves and that will differentiate regardless of how many firefighters meet single first grade teachers or whatever (laughs) I'm not or how many or how many you've never been a firefighter i
1: haven't but i think the america i mean the british american divide there's a little bit like i haven't been a hockey player or i haven't been a sportsman either yet uh i think you've been about a hundred of those haven't you i've been a lot of hockey players (laughs) you sound like you yeah you sound like you play hockey um, but, uh, what was I going to uh, say? Interestingly that?
2: enough, interestingly enough, the American, my, uh, my athletic specialty is actually soccer. <laughs> oh, the sport I'm the best at is European football. There's irony for
1: you. Football. So, yeah. You can just call football. it football with me. I'm happy
2: to call it football. <laughs> I, I I go around, I go around this country, uh, advocating for calling that game football, <laughs> and calling American football, something else. Cause uh, I think that, regardless of the fact that it was called football, like hundred years before American football even became a thing, um, it is played exclusively with your feet. So I think that you just sort of that that sport wins the title
1: of using your foot
2: in the title.
1: That's really the end of the yeah. discussion for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game over. Um, yeah. Have you been a billionaire, by the way? Oh. Have somebody, you been a royal or, or a billionaire? You've been tons of billionaire. Okay. So have I've not you
2: been, a royal? been, you know, I've not, no. See, I don't know if I've been any, I don't know if I've been any royalty, which is bullshit. That's the, that's the American Brit divide going the yeah. other way. I get to be all the firefighters. You know, can I tell something? This is a, this is just for the authors out there. Uh, Americans can be royals and Brits can be firefighters. So <laughs> don't be, don't be scared. Uh, <laughs> that's very true. I've played true. several billionaires. I, it's fun. I like, I like doing the
1: billionaires. Uh, I love, yeah, I love, I love the billionaires.
0: Uh, I love having a
1: helicopter at my disposal. I mean, who wouldn't?
2: The cocky, uh, the, the just sort of the cocky CEO thing. Um, I like. Yeah. There's always there always has to be some part of the way the billionaire uses his money has to be altruistic. So even if he's just smarmy and kind of. An asshole day in and day out and treats everybody kind of glibly and sort of business first. You also need to find out that, like, he's got a five million dollar estate that's devoted to, you know, feeding the homeless or, orphans. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got an orphanage and it's not, and it's in his sister's
2: name because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want the attention. Um, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, that. that rings a lot of bells. Um, and, that- you know, and there are all of these stories, every story whether it's romance or not, every acting scene, this is not the only theory out there. It is certainly a prevalent one. Every scene in acting is uh, just answers one question. Who has the power at every line of dialogue? Who has it? And how did they get it? How much of it do they have? And what is the other person doing to try and get more of it? Mm -hmm. That's it. And so the billionaire dynamic brings with it so much inherent power. So that the women really get to use their both their sexual prowess and their smarts, and I love when the female characters really use their mind to kind of pull that man out of himself. And that's those so those are super fun. And you get to start out being this really kind of slick, smarmy guy that thinks the world has been handed to him, and then you meet somebody <laughs> that challenges you yeah. and forces you to reevaluate that, and you and you have to walk away. From that position of total power,
1: and that's really hard to do. Yeah, and I, I agree. I like that. I always love that turn in the because you get as the male narrator, you get the internal narration. Like you get to be in his head and explain that and do that sort of uh, that swap from like you're saying maybe smarmy, maybe self centered, maybe eternal bachelor into into realizing who this other person is and what's missing in his life and and connecting with that other person and changing himself. Uh, so I always love those. Um, moments in the book where i get to do that um but this leads on to what i was saying before what you were saying before you seem to think you're very well versed in acting and thinking things through and all of that how did you learn to do this though in particular like narration because it's its own beast um was it trial and error you know and doing it i mean especially doing it from home as we do so much now pretty much 100% 99% of the time. Uh, Was it going over things? Did you listen to other people? Was it just something that you just kind of threw yourself into and made your way through?
2: So I was very fortunate to get started in this industry when the doors were wide open. Mm. And I was able to learn in the field. I do not advise anybody try to do that anymore. Uh, You need to be good. Now. And I was fortunate enough to be entering the field when so many people were hiring so many actors that, and like a lot of companies were catching up on backlogs of titles. And there was just, there was a wealth of material getting put out there. So I was able to kind of learn in the trenches. And after a a few titles, I realized that my acting training was helping, but it wasn't answering enough questions. And that's when I started really listening. To audiobooks. I went to Audible and I started searching bestsellers in categories. I started searching best reviewed titles and I started taking note, not of the authors, but of the narrators and which names were sort of appearing over and over again. And then I started listening to samples of their work and then I started downloading books that they narrated. And with a few of them, I really kind of did what picasso suggests right is steal until you (laughs) steal until you find your own voice (laughs) and it is kind of i was like sort of stealing tricks and then i kind of you do enough work and you sort of get comfortable at it the the rule of thumb in comedy is you've got to do stand up for 10 years before you find your own voice Mm -hmm. um and i don't think that the learning curve is that steep in in audiobook narration especially if you have a performative background but it isn't it is an entirely different medium and it's extremely intimate. And so I have a classical stage background. I've done a lot of Shakespeare and the Greeks and I've done outdoor dramas for 1500 people. So my diction is extremely crisp and my ability to hit the back of a room is extremely strong and you don't really need that in the booth Mm -hmm. and you've got a, you have to sort of soften all that for the microphone because the microphone is right there it's catching everything and unlike any other acting discipline because it is an acting discipline there is no visual element so you only have your voice so the listeners are so much more attuned to it I mean, if you're at a musical, people are dancing, they're singing, then they're talking. There's the set, there's the costumes. If you're at a play, you got all that without the music. If you're at a, you know, if you're watching a film, you've got all these different visual stimuli that that bring more life. Even when you're doing other forms of voiceover, animation, commercial, promo, they're accompanied by visual storytelling elements, and that's not true here. Mm. And so. You have to, I had to learn to stop pushing, to stop relying on somebody else to help me tell the story and really just getting intimate and really working on stamina to be able to sort of do the long form storytelling and the heavy lifting because you have all the elements that you're responsible for. Yeah, That was a way long-winded answer to that question.
1: (laughs) An interesting answer though. And uh, it just reminded me of something because I felt the same when I, I found when I did the um, did more and more books that over the years I was like I opened up all these avenues in my voice, and I'd been acting in all sorts for so long that I never even really knew how to work with as well. But being just with my voice, day in, day out, lots of times, especially working solo after I'd sort of you know I feel like I did my apprenticeship and had a bunch of books and blah 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 and worked started working at home. I discovered more about my voice and how to work with my voice and nuance and tiny bits of inflect, all sorts that I couldn't do before. Uh, And I found it gave me that. And I would go to then do other voiceover jobs. uh, And I got it then. I was like, oh, you want 10% that you like? You want these? I was like, boom. And you could, could, I never had that before, audiobook. So it gave me that. Um, So I totally relate to what you're talking about um, with all of that. But what did you, how did you find? Well, you've kind of answered how you found your style, but what would you describe your style as? Because having listened to other people, I think there are different ways people tell stories, Uh, very successful people.
2: I was in a production of Our Town in college and I played George Gibbs, who's the young love interest. And at the callbacks, there were two women that were reading for Emily. One of them was a very sort of classically beautiful woman, skinny, blonde. And then there was this heavy-set redhead. And they both gave really fantastic performances in the callback. I felt more connected to... Uh, the redhead, uh, who, who again, was thicker and just not really sort of as classically attractive. And the role ended up going to the blonde woman. And I knew the director, and we actually talked after the show was over. And he said if he'd had it to do it over again, he he would have cast the other woman. But he fell into that trap that so many people fall into, which is he saw that woman and assumed that was the kind of person somebody would fall in love with. And all sorts of people fall in love with all sorts of people and everybody deserves to be loved and everybody wants to be loved. So I've really tried to move the performative aspect of my career in the direction of telling individual people's stories and not worrying about how my voice sounds and, you know, Is this guy sexy is this guy fuckable is this guy you know just he is is he committed to the feelings he has for this person and your voice doesn't have to sound the same way or a specific way um because all sorts of people are falling in love with all sorts of people and especially when we work in a medium where there is no visual element I wanna be able to use my voice to do different things. So yeah, in the first first handful of titles that I did, I was very much like, okay, I need to have, there's a romance voice, there's a romance timbre, there's a romance sensibility. And I'm, I'm getting further and further away from that the more titles I do. And I focus more and more on just being each guy pursuing each person that he is pursuing and getting rid of all the artifice around what the genre demands, because it just demands honesty and authenticity.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting, because I think I, you're very uh, emotionally led. I would say you, you're, like, your performances is like, they're very passionate when they need to be passionate, like you're invested, uh, you don't hold back. You're not a, which I've heard before from other people, like some people, they narrate they're kind of telling the story and allowing the words to come through them, but they don't necessarily, you know, go fully in with themselves. Like they don't feel that that's their job. And I've heard some people say that, or that's maybe a style of narration. Uh, I think yours is different to that, which I relate to yours feels very invested.
2: Well, and I think that um, I think actually if the romance genre has any sensibility to it. It is an emotional sensibility. Every one of these titles is about people falling in of or out of love. That is the most like earth shattering thing that happens to all of us at some point, once or many times in our lives. At the very least, all of us have felt spurned in love. We have loved unreciprocated so when we tell these stories the narrative voice very frequently their first person pov so the narrative voice is all those feelings they're all the feelings on the page i spend all the time in between the dialogue talking about how i feel that's <laughs> yeah. all of it so if i'm focused on sounding like this because this always sounds good fine mm-hmm. sometimes that's really useful but In those private moments, because the narrative voice, those are private moments. You don't, no one, no one, I can't, I don't know what you're thinking right now. I will never know your thoughts. It is only when you volunteer them to me that I am led into that world. So these books are full of these private moments and those are bare. You're naked because you don't think anyone's watching. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're not bringing some emotional intensity to it, if you're not trying to find a way to tap in and every one of us has some personal place that we can start from. And the beauty of this kind of storytelling is like, I think about my own life when I'm telling these stories, but I don't have to talk about it. I get to talk about all these other people's lives. (laughs) And so, so it's their stories informed by my feelings and my life and my stories, but I get to do justice to somebody else's words and to some fictional person's narrative. So
1: yeah. yeah. And I think out of that, that's, it's always, especially in romance, I, I hear that where authors have sort of got back to you and expressed like how this is so much more than they thought it could be, or there's nothing, there's
2: absolutely nothing better than hearing from an I'm author <laughs> who, who tells you that you did something to their work that they didn't even know was there. Yeah. That's incredible. And it, and it val- it validates the craft. It validates the entire industry, and it absolutely validates the individual performer because it means that we are necessary or can be necessary to, yeah. to bring to bring some new element, some new truth to bear
1: to yeah. the material yeah, and I think if you can touch the author and show them something in a way, they wrote the thing. you know what i mean they they're totally so. They know the material, and then you bring something else to them. I agree with you. I find that incredibly validating for the format of audiobooks uh, and the value of them, um, above and beyond as well. You know the written word. Um, now and go back to go back to plays too. It's just that like
2: those, it's the same script, and it can be performed and envisioned almost an infinite number of ways. <laughs> um, you know. And the playwright will do what they can do to inform performance it, with the text, with their words, with stage directions, with character descriptors. Um, but at the end of the day, somebody else takes that material and breathes new life into it. Mm-hmm. And it is—it's new life, whether it's the whether it's a world premiere of a play or it's the one millionth production of Romeo and Juliet you've
1: ever seen. Mm-hmm. Now talking about breathing new life into things. How did you feel when you, oh, it's a slightly different, more lighthearted tack attack for a second. How did you feel when you first started vocally having sex with yourself? Well, wow. it's actually a very serious question. I don't know why I say we're going lighter, very deep. No, uh, I do want to know your thoughts. I have my own. Uh, well, on it's one of the, it, it is one of the,
2: it's one of the more interesting questions it friends when friends or it's mostly friends, strangers don't ask you this question. But it's one of the more interesting questions. Someone in Trader Joe's doesn't just come up and ask you that. That friends will ask me when I when they find out that I that I do this work. Because you have to be sort of aware enough of the f- industry to know sex is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't really know the answer. I guess I was never really self-conscious about it. And it sort of just was what it was. And I knew that I had a responsibility to be in the scene and connected to the moment. And if that meant that I had to make female pleasure noises or voice the female desire during a scene told from the male POV, then I just had to do it. I had to go there, and uh, I've never had a complaint about it, and I've never felt weird about it. Uh, so, I guess it's fine. I think it's a great question because I do think it's a very, it's a very strange dynamic. Um, it's already kind of weird just to sort of be voicing characters of the opposite gender in and out of scenes. But then to compound that to 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 take on that persona in the throes of ecstasy is uh a very intimate deep place to have to go with somebody and i don't know you just do i don't know yeah it's harder it's hard enough to do it just from the male
1: pov and you're adding in both both parts Uh, it is interesting because there's no i can't think of any any other uh scenario any other sort of medium acting creative where you would do that other than maybe a a one-man theater show or something do you know what i'm saying like
2: yeah no it's even weirder than that it's like like playing tennis against yourself or chess against yourself Mm -hmm. like you're like well i know what moves are happening but i have to keep making the strongest play possible on
1: both sides of the court or on both sides of the table i mean yeah I always think, uh, I did find, I never, I was the same as you because I think when I first, when you get into the zone with something, when you are when you immerse yourself in the work and the book, uh, it's a different mindset that you're in. So I'm, there isn't that self-consciousness disappears. I am glad that I learned to do that by myself. Uh, I think if I'd have had to learn to do that in front of a director, um, I don't know if you did. Um, I'm assuming you did this. First. No, I I did.
2: I did and have done most of my work uh, at at home
1: yeah. alone, <laughs> which I think that that added to it. And it was, and you know, so some of the technical aspects I sort of my I, I had to get to grips with, which I'm glad I had to get to grips with by myself. Just how it sounded, because sometimes you know it would sound. I'm supposed to sound like a a woman in the throes of it, and I was just like, you just don't sound well. Um, that was how I felt on some of my lines. I was like, that's not, <laughs> that's not a good take. That's bad. Um, so I had the, <laughs> the opportunity to go back and make her, her not sound like she'd just been punched in the stomach, but actually like she was enjoying herself. Um, but I still I always find that element of our job kind of interesting. Uh, it's so day to day now that I don't really ever think about it. But talking to another male narrator, I was just interested um, to find your uh, how you felt about it. Um, Yeah, I've never, um,
2: I've never in my life been ashamed of sex. Um, Even my parents were very, the dialogue about sex was very frank in my family. Uh, And they, um, they were there for me in a way that was kind of nice and encouraging without being like super creepy. Um, And so there was never any, I've never had any shame attached to sex Mm. in my own person. And so I don't, I never I didn't have to bring, I didn't bring any of those neuroses to romance narration, particularly the sex scenes, particularly voicing the females in the sex scenes. Um, And that's probably not true for everybody. And everyone is bringing their own, uh, their own background
1: to that. So, you know. I mean, I'm British, so, by cliche, I should be uptight <laughs> the, as far. The
2: whole thing, it's all
1: shame.
2: <laughs> the whole thing.
1: <laughs> I should not want to do this whatsoever. Um, Close your
2: eyes, think of the queen mum, and <laughs> turn, turn the kettle on.
1: Yeah, moans that's should that's just it. be grunts, like very minor whispers and squeaks, <laughs> mm, really. But mm, uh,
2: Oh, mm, <laughs> that oh, was pleasurable. There.
1: Good night. Right, uh, lovely. Uh, oh, yeah, it was, was it? My oh, hot yeah. water bottle. I'm not here to reinforce British, British cliches because uh, obviously- You're here to tear
2: them down. Down
1: and dirty as the, as the rest of you. Um, and now, but did you find when you got into narration in general that you just had a natural talent for it? Because obviously, like you said, you had a big background in all sorts, Shakespeare and everything, theatre and everything.
2: I think my family would tell you that one of the one of the great skills that I had coming into this uh, career was that I, I do love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, oh, uh, so I, sorry,
1: just pick myself up off the floor. Yeah.
2: So this job really lends itself <laughs> to that. And then, I am a voracious reader. I have always been a voracious reader. I love. Books. Mm. So, I actually um, I studied both philosophy and theater in school because I I wasn't reading enough when I was doing theater. And the plays are active and they're short, and I was like, "This isn't. I need. I want more books." And somebody I was going to major in English, and uh, a friend of mine's older brother. Uh, we, were I, we, were school, we were at a baseball game. We were in high school, we were basically, and we were walking home we're walking back to the car after the game. And I told this guy who was starting college and I was gonna study English. And he said, you should study philosophy. It's just like studying English, but the books are harder. And I was hooked. <laughs> mm. So I love, I love books and I love to be challenged and I love to be immersed in that world. So uh, between loving the sound of my own voice and loving books, this is great. I will say one of the pitfalls of this job that I was not prepared for is I have not read for pleasure yeah. in, in about seven years. Um, I, it's I, impossible. It's impossible because I, I actually can't focus on a book that I'm not going to be narrating because mm. I'm just stressing out about some book I should be prepping instead. Yeah. So I have magazine subscriptions, so that I, because magazines are smaller there, and also I have, I get the physical subscription. I'm so tired of looking at an iPad all day, so I, I have magazines arrive at my home, and then I can read them. And they're short, and so I don't feel guilty. I can sit down in some other chair. I still get to read something, but it's, uh, it's contained, and yeah. So,
1: I yeah, I have a very similar experience. So it's interesting to hear you say that. But did you find, now obviously you love the sound of your own voice uh, and you love reading, but did you find when you first started, when you actually began the first like book, two books, three books, because uh, I'm projecting onto you and I wanna know from another narrator's point of view, I thought I was gonna die when I did those first few. Like at the end of the four days or even at the end of the first day, second day, by the end of the thing, I was like, I don't know if I could do this again. And then I did. <laughs> And then here we are now. My my biggest obstacles
2: early on were technical issues. I really didn't have a proper recording space, but I had told this company that I did. And I'd gotten all these books to narrate and
1: classic actor I, move.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I can basically, do that. Yeah, I can oh, totally, yeah, I can totally, totally
1: do that. Help you.
2: Right, right. <laughs> uh, I could basically only work like very late at night. And I was living in New York and like every footstep you could hear and I was just losing my mind because I couldn't get into any kind of flow. And so with the very first check that I got, um, I went to B&H in Manhattan and they have a voice room. You try a bunch of microphones and I got a better mic that was better for my space. And then with the second check, I got better uh, soundproofing materials and built a, a better space to, to work from because i was all in very right away i was like wow. yeah this is what i want to do and yes Up it's there. tiring but i love it i just love it i don't i don't care <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh yeah wow that's interesting i always expect everyone to kind of feel because i introduced people i introduced a few actors who were like oh that that's yeah i could do that and i was like cool i introduced you to uh you know, it was random house because they have their own studios. You don't need your own studio. Just go in. That's where I started. And, uh, and I thought, and I would hear from my actor friends, they're like, fuck that, mate. Like, that's, oh, I can't do that again. Uh, so I'm always intrigued to hear other narrators who've, you know, ended up doing it so much. Uh, if they started as I did. And I agree with those people. And I think it's important. I know. I think it's important for, for
2: other actors to know, um, this is not, your cushy yeah. in between on camera gig job. Um, and in fact, most of the time when you're asking uh, a colleague of yours who has made a name for themselves in audiobooks, they made that name because they made it their priority. And that name is built on the back of hundreds of hours of research, prep, and performative work. And it's because somewhere deep down, we just absolutely love it and you yeah. you sacrifice the long hours and the physical strain and the exhaustion because those are totally accurate and valid and they're a part of the job uh you take all those because you get to be every character in a story mm-hmm. and authors trust you with their words and you get to bring them to life and it's
1: magical and awesome yeah i think that tr- being trusted with Someone's project and their, their words, what they've created, is, is one of the big things uh, for me, especially when days are like, because days get long and you're like, oh, why, why am I sweating away in here today? And then it's like, oh, come back to that sort of thought. But did you find a point where you, because obviously the beginning, you know, as we go on, I think you learn things, techniques, whatever, like with any job, any acting, you get better and better and better. Did you find a point when you feel that you got exponentially better? Like, was it, you hit a hundred books? Was it 150 or 200? Was there a point when you just felt like, ah, okay. Cause I used to feel there were tears. I felt like I'd got to, I was like, I'm good. Like, this feels great. And then I'd reach another, I felt like a milestone. I was like, oh no, this feels better. Like, I don't know about your experience.
2: For me, the moment there wasn't like a title or any like specific number of books where I thought, oh yeah, okay, finally I got this for me. The shift happened when I was so concerned early on because there's so many voices in books, so many different characters. And I was so caught up in this idea of like, I got to make sure everybody sounds different. I've got to make sure that people can hear all these different people. And so I was so hung up on voices. I wasn't being true to each one of those characters, each one of those moments. So when I stopped worrying about voices and started worrying about the same things that I worried about, the heroes or for people that i used to play on stage what is my objective what's standing in my way what can i do to get there when i focused on those things for each and every person in the book that's when i felt like i was really tapping into the potential of the medium and really felt like i was doing service to the author's work and felt confident and just felt better about what i was doing and the comments that i would see in user reviews or feedback about voices sounding stilted or my female characters sounding like they're always asking questions things like that all (laughs) the all that feedback went away because i stopped trying to sound Mm -hmm. like a woman i started trying to go after what everyone wants in the scene and using all the tools that human beings have at their disposal to pursue their objective to gain power in a in a dynamic And that that felt good. Then that felt real. And it felt more natural as far as my training went. It wasn't about Mm. creating this wonderful canvas with all these different colors. It was about painting the picture authentically. And that meant what? People want things from each other. And they want things from the world around them. And they're frustrated about what they haven't achieved. And they're excited about the possibility that something might be out ahead of them. Every person, every single one, whether it's the clerk at the convenience store or the hero's mother or the heroine or whoever. So what is that thing? Tap into it and help them go after it. And then all the rest of it takes care of itself. Pacing, vocalization, all that stuff. You can't do those things. It's like trying to quit smoking. You can't quit smoking. You have to do something else be proactive and then you stop thinking about the smoking then that that's a byproduct of the fact that you want to be healthy you want to make healthy choices start working out don't stop smoking start eating healthy don't stop smoking that's just all you're going to do is think about smoking all day and you can't do anything about that because you can't do that but you can eat better and then all day you can think about how you can eat better and then you just aren't thinking about smoking you're not doing that
1: or whatever fill in yeah no it's it's i mean it's very it's very true it's very uh i think had similar uh, thoughts earlier on of worrying too much about how different did everybody sound and was that good and how did that work and blah 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 and rather than just uh like you're talking about um with objective and stuff is just really connecting to who the person is and the character and the story that you're trying to tell and then Right. right and then and pacing the is another one did
2: you did you think early on in your career were you fixated on this notion of like pacing at any point in your career i, mean, I... <laughs> do this are these scenes being told at like the proper pace am i do i have a good yeah pace? Is that not I something can... that gone for me it was i'm asking for me it was a massive thing it was constantly in my head about like is the pacing is this pacing what am i doing with the pacing is this the
1: right pacing it was constantly in my head. I think, well, I think I, well, I also, I learned, I, I worked with a few different directors. So I was, I was lucky in that respect, I started off. And some of them, yeah, I, I did get into my, it was in my head. And I think it's also more of a, a British actor sort of thing that I thought also that I had to, if I wasn't clear, if I didn't enunciate well enough, if I didn't, you know, if i ran words together too much uh, or went too fast people wouldn't uh follow like i really had to lay it out for them uh and i think i used to so that kind of ties in with what you're saying like i had that element in my head at times like oh and then when i i've definitely and especially in the romance genre uh moved away from that way of thinking and more into and completely into what does the story require? And and people can follow you. You can speak as fast as, you know what I mean? People speak fast when they get angry, when they get upset, when they get passionate. Like, um, So yeah, I, I'm similar in that respect. I used to worry about things like that and enunciating every word. And I even did a, a thing in London and worked with some uh, British people, narrators who wanted to narrate more. And I found it was, yeah, it was a very sort of actor thing. Like we have to make sure every word is clear. I said, but, the emotions there, like everything, I'm not saying that you should slur, but I'm saying, like how we speak normally, we don't. Every not who T and D is is in there, you know, and it just. So that was more. That was a learning thing for me, and something I got away from. um If that ties in with what your question is about pacing.
2: Yeah, I mean, yes, and then I, for me, I so then I finally realized, oh. If you're thinking about pacing you're not connected to the story Mm -hmm. because people that are in the middle of a fight in life are not thinking about the pacing of the fight (laughs) that's not what's going on so you're being an inauthentic storyteller if you're worried about the pace of the story start telling the story Mm -hmm. and then the pace of any moment scene chapter whatever will be a byproduct of the emotional truth and the psychological truth and the physical truth of a scene. And then it's, it answers itself and then it will be dynamic and it will be present and it will be particular to each scene because you're focused on what the scene's actually about
1: and not the construct of the scene. Well, and I think in my case, on a technical aspect, things came together as well where I didn't, you know, I didn't have to worry about enunciating because I was so do so many of these things like it's like a tool that you use my mouth became so adept at speaking if you like and that's why when i'm off of work i I sound drunk half the time they go off the clock but in the booth i found like i didn't have to worry about enunciating and making everything because it it did and that was i think that was sometimes an experience thing like a technical aspect like you know you get the technique to forget the technique and it all fed into each itself it all fed into what it is now uh, which is hopefully good. Um, now, this is more of a question for fans. Did you ever practice the word fuck? Because <laughs> I think your pronunciation of that is quite popular um, on uh, Twitter. Have you ever <laughs> given fuck no. a certain thought? I, or It's just naturally you are just good at saying that word I, and emoting that word. I love words.
2: And I don't think... there's such a thing as a bad word i think there's just a bad time to use a word and as i'm saying that there's probably there are certain racial slurs that may live outside of this story Mm -hmm. uh i'm thinking of a handful i mean because because words can hurt uh so setting aside racially disparaging Terminology. I really don't think there's such a thing as a bad word. Curse words are not bad words. There's just a bad time to use them. And I think fuck is an extremely expressive word. And I love saying it. It sounds <laughs> good. It's got a great, it's got a good strong opening sound. It's yep. got a, an uncommon vowel sound and it ends with a hard "k" yep. sound. It's perfect.
1: It's a great word. Um, I think your love uh, of it shows. Uh, I've heard you say it in my ear in my headphones when we work together (laughs) i heard you say fuck many times uh yeah your love of it shows Um, good I'm glad (laughs) (laughs) and now is there anyone author wise because you work with everyone now? you know is there anyone who surprises you sometimes with like and now and I say this word again what we're saying like words can mean all sorts of good things I say filthiest in the best possible term, like people who get down and dirty, like in and really, you know, get really sexy. Uh, does anyone ever surprise you? Are there particular authors that surprise you? Um, uh, or have changed? I've surprised you in terms of maybe you didn't think that they got down and dirty and then they like, oh, wow, like, wow, you really go for it.
2: Yeah, there's I'm very happy to be working with a couple authors right now that I think uh, really kind of surprise me and hopefully surprise readers or listeners all the time. Um, Lauren Blakely, I think is starting to explore oh, yeah. her down and dirty side, her darker oh, yeah. side. And uh, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. So I've done some coms with her and have more recently done some things where the characters are, uh, they're just a little more into the sex and unapologetic about getting to the good stuff um i'm also uh i am doing a series for lonnie lynn vale and i don't know if it's the sex that that surprises me but her her books are crazy and they're so fun because <laughs> the craziest shit happens and you're like what who are these people that it's such an incredible band of characters <laughs> and the weirdest stuff out it's like a soap opera but it's stuff that not even soap operas would write about you know like it's just it's out there and i and i love it <laughs> uh so i don't know those are two that that jump to mind um, yeah I'm, yeah i'm doing a series for for uh, jessica peterson right now as well the charleston heat series so i'm getting to do a couple different sort of uh buttery south accents a little more of that like Charleston kind of rolls off the tongue a bit like that. Uh-huh. A little I mean some of the characters are different, they have different socioeconomic backgrounds, so that accent kind of varies. So that's fun. And I think she's a really wonderful writer. The prose is really lovely, and the character development is really um, flowery and, and just kind of um, evocative. And then the sex is kind of dirty. and And you get these chapters of like these characters really getting to know each other and kind of figure each other out and then they do it and you're Mm -hmm. like okay all right
1: (laughs) yeah there's another one that's that's great i mean i don't uh yeah i don't know because we work we cross over in certain realms i think and then certain authors i don't get to work with because they tend to write for american characters uh but yeah crossing over what you said I, i think i've definitely uh lauren is exploring her her uh down and dirty dark filthiest side in the best possible way um and i think she's very vocal about it at the minute isn't she we often get
0: i believe she, i believe comments. she is yeah yeah yes.
2: and then the, the the title that you and i just did that we've been talking about the you and i together uh, a guy walks in my bar uh you and i joked uh off mic about how much sex there it's like well we really we had a lot
1: of sex uh, <laughs> we have a lot of sex for three days yeah <laughs> i was exhausted uh <laughs> and hurt all over um now we'll we'll talk about it. actually one last question i had as a as a co-narrator as, as another kind of narrator person uh before we talk about our little our project together and then wrap it up um is there an accent or something that you dread. And I will be honest that I, which is the irony because in romance, often I'm a British guy meets an American girl. When I first began, I dreaded doing a female American because I always thought, I was worried that she sounded, I didn't want her to sound whiny or as if she was from, you know, the valley to you know, be derogative or like that kind of Paris hilton thing or something.
2: Where like every girl is like, this. yeah, I was,
1: I was like, shit. Oh my Britain. god, you're like a, such a hot British guy, and like, <laughs> I'm totally into you. <laughs> and it was weird because British, like an American accent on it for a man. I was like, that's fine. And I like, go to the girl. I was like, oh shit, this like, I don't know. Anyway, I dreaded that have have conquered that fear and have, have really found my way i hope anyway with it but i was wondering with you i was like they obviously not a female i'm guessing not female american voice because the accent's so easy for you but uh is there a particular one that you dread or dread? No, ima- possibly i'm
2: just imagining some scene where you're like oh abigail i'm i'm so into you oh my god derek like totally <laughs> i
1: am so hot for you well oh. so- <laughs> Someone will dig out an old book. My first ever one. <laughs> I like totally want to take my top off.
2: Oh, your packs are awesome. <laughs> uh, maybe we should write uh, this: the Duke, the Duke, and the Valley Girl, and you and I can narrate it, and I'll play
1: the Valley Girl. Yeah, we should get Aaron Mellon on board because she was great with the thing. The other thing we just did.
2: I grew up I grew up in Los Angeles and I went to school on the west side of LA and so like that voice I know a lot of people think that that's like a cliched voice I that sounds like so many girls who went to high school uh, and yeah. this one girl I will never forget she said to me we were sitting at a table a bunch of us she was like uh does anyone want a G to the calf and I was like what is she saying? And then I realized that she was saying, does anyone want to go to the cafeteria? And then I realized that she abbreviated a two word verb and I lost my mind. And I was like, no, I do not want to G to the calf
1: on this bench. Uh, Yeah, I noticed that when I started listening to people here, I was like, there's a lot of upward inflection. Like, why? Are you talking to me as if every word is a question? I'm so confused. Um, I think that's a very LA-specific thing. But is there or was there a particular accent or type that you dreaded? Or we, I mean,
2: maybe... Yeah, you just know, uh, just Australian everybody. and New Zealand are kind of brutal. And whenever somebody wants me to be like super specific with a British
1: accent, that can be a little <laughs> challenging. Uh, He's from this suburban Newcastle.
2: Yeah. yeah and i, I, mean, I like imagine. i did i did one where the the character was very clearly described as being geordie and i was like oh that voice is brutal like I, I, can't I like, I it. like I don't think i can i can't i'm not even and if i could do it i'm not sure you could follow me so uh <laughs> yeah the, the australian one I and, I and it was a romance book where i had to uh i had to uh break my my aussie cherry if you will mm. and uh it's tough for me as I end up slipping into some kind of British or it's it ends up being like very, very outback, you know, so it's a little more, it's a little more than I think anyone is like, I don't even know what that was. That was a strange part of the South that no one has ever been to. That was a town <laughs> well in Mississippi. To no one has ever seen. Yeah. Good. I'm from Perth, Perth, Mississippi. Lovely to see you.
1: Uh, uh, why don't
2: you uh, join us in the barbecue pit. Uh
1: yeah it's interesting it is interesting which ones get you and which ones don't um but let's talk for a hot second about what we did before we wrap this up um so now we just did a duet um uh, which will be coming out in august uh, a guy walks into my bar uh, you and me um love interest now i would like you to give me three words Could you, you described some of this earlier but three words that describe working with shane east or describe shane east work i should say and I'll give you three in return.
2: But I have to I have to lead the opening salvo in
1: this. I can love give you fest. mine first if you want.
2: <laughs> no, because then I'll cause then I'll just be thinking about the words that you said and then I won't be able to come up with oh, my own yeah, words. Yeah, it's your podcast. Um, you decide. Yeah, I called you a talented professional earlier. Th- those were two. Does that not <laughs> count? Um,
1: uh, electric. Oh. Magnetic, fiery. I love it. I sound like an X-Man. That's great. Uh, I Thank you. I, I, well, I, mine were uh, intensely focused. Uh, and I will explain my thoughts on these. Passionate and command was the other word that I thought of with you. Now, when I say intensely focused, I've I found working with you very... You're very focused on the material like which i loved you are kind of in it we're not pausing we're not like you your focus on your ability to focus on the material and keep going and not just keep going but be living it through the entire chapter like that's i was very impressed with that i'll give you huge kudos for that thank um, you i like
2: i prefer to I, that's one of the reasons i prefer working with somebody else is i actually my level of focus is ramped up because another person is involved. And I actually feel like I'm cheating you out of your time. If I'm not hundred percent focused on what we're doing. And so that's actually why like when I work by myself, I have much harder time getting focused, staying focused. Mm -hmm. But when you're there, I'm like, this isn't just my time. This is also your time. So I'm a hundred percent here and I want to be as
1: present as possible and as flexible as possible. So, yeah, no, and you were, and you, you definitely, you sailed through some things like not a blip, not a, not a misread, not a hiccup, not a, you know, going back over the line, uh, many times. So I was very impressed by that. Um, I would say my other second one was passionate because, which I really appreciated, because I actually haven't listened to that many people read. I've listened to clips, but I haven't listened to a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really interesting and good to, to work with another bloke, because I've worked with women uh, and it's different, uh, to work with another bloke and hear how passionately you get into the passionate sections, like the emotional sections, like how far you go with that. Um, so that was why passionate came to mind with, with your work. Uh, and command was because I find you very, you're in command of the material. Like you knew where you were, and what was going on all the time and you know you can you know i do that i feel my i can hear myself when i work by myself slip out of that sometimes you know my my Mm -hmm. mind might go and i'm like oh and i hear more of a rhythm than actually i didn't really make sense of that but i felt with you every everything that we did i was like it makes you're there like it's real it's it's making sense like you're in command of the material completely so there you go that's uh
0: the thanks buddy
1: things will ever say to each other <laughs> i mean I'm, now i'm going to
2: feel bad the next time i rip into you on twitter
1: but i, I don't I, worry I, everyone i i will still do it <laughs> good cuz i nearly i something came up the other day someone said something i think they were making a joke about your female voice and if these walls could, walls could talk about how funny it was and i was going to say something about like what, what the fuck are you talking about like that's his that is his female voice like how rude yeah that's what Some kind of voice. joke uh and then i didn't because I had this, you know, love and respect for your work, but that will fade as. Uh,
2: let's re- let's ride this out, and then the moment <laughs> the moment will come. It will be organic. Right. It will be authentic. It will feel right, and we will both pounce on it.
1: <laughs> exactly, um, and then you answered this question early on. I just had a couple of last questions on that. That this was not obviously your first male male romance book. Uh, you started in some oh. They were homoerotic, not necessarily male male romance. I'm not sure.
2: I'm sorry. Yeah, they, I believe they were all. I believe they were all male male. Um, right. But yes, yeah. Interestingly Interesting. enough, I didn't mention the title because I don't know what happened. But uh, at some point, that title is still available, and it's not my narration anymore. So uh, it's also it's not my name on it. So that's fine too. But uh-huh. so I don't even mention this. I'm like, I don't know what happened. Maybe I was <laughs>
1: bad at it. I really. really did. I thought it was good i had no problem with it but anyway sir what was your question <laughs> I say uh so it wasn't your first one because uh, my question was going to be was it your first one which is not it was probably your first duet version of one right
2: it was definitely my first it was definitely my first duet male male romance yeah. and it was it was one of my first uh long form male, male romances, certainly in a, in a very long time. I did a couple early on and then there was a sort of massive break. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I, the, it, it, it is what it is. What we talked about at the beginning.
1: Yeah, um, no, you explained it beautifully at the beginning. Um, and I, but I think I asked, I, we touched on this, my, you know, when we were chatting, when we were recording, um, mm-hmm. that. I was very intrigued by the fact that male-male romance books uh, were so popular with women, straight women in particular, uh, and that has surprised me. Uh, I can't remember what your reply to that was. If that had surprised you, I, or... I,
2: I believe my reply to that was, "Well, I know a lot of straight guys that love uh, watching lesbian sex," so uh, that was my <laughs> that was my first response to that. Uh, and I do think that there's something there is something to that. It may not be uh, i think um i don't want to paint with too broad a brush yeah but, uh there does seem to be something a bit more cerebral about the the female sex drive mm-hmm. and, and the males uh again don't want to be painting with too broad a brush
1: but um but no i think i mean there's that's there's a lot of i think there's truth. To that evidently because this whole genre is predominantly for women men don't read these books so it's, i mean some do i think but uh, our audience is females um and that rolls into actually my last question what you were just saying um about women maybe being slightly more cerebral or can be cerebral not to paint everyone in the same brush um do you think doing romance has given you an insight into female sexuality more, female desires more, has it changed any thoughts on that? Um, you don't have to go too personal or too deep, not personal at all, but like just in a general sense. Cause I always wonder sometimes, I think some guys should actually read some of these books and get an insight uh into how women maybe think.
0: I
2: do think that um I I, I had this thought fairly recently actually, and I was like, have I Am I learning anything here? Um, Am I taking anything away from this experience? I'm spending a lot of time immersed in the world of women's sexual desires. A a lot of them. Most of these stories are written by women. And um, I think the thing that, I return to most frequently is just that everybody wants to be seen, which is, I think, a truism that I've seen in a lot of theater. And when um, I mean, you get to a lot of plays or books and the, the character like says their name, <laughs> like when Willie Loman says at the end of does like I am Willie Loman and you are Biff Loman or when uh, Russell Crowe does it in gladiator when he takes Mm -hmm. his helmet off and he says his name, like we all want to be seen. We all want to be acknowledged and to be acknowledged is to have somebody listen to how you feel. And if I've taken away anything, it's that for a man that loves the sound of his own voice, I can always work harder to be a better listener.
1: Mm, That's beautifully put. I think, um, that is beautifully put. I'm not going to say anything more on that because I think you, that was a really lovely way to sort of wind down and wrap things up, uh, on what we've talked about and another thoughtful response, which I really appreciate from this whole, um, podcast is really thought out responses, intelligent responses. Um, now just for the last couple of minutes i will give you the floor as i do uh anyone who's on it to if there's anything you want to say you've got coming up because i know people are clamoring for stuff more and more stuff from you uh as much as they can get their hands on ears on uh so yeah there's
2: yeah there's a couple of projects i'd love for people to be aware of um the first one is What I'm Looking For, which is written by Karen Gray and is the first in a series. And she is a narrator turned author and asked me to voice her first hero. And I was uh, just extremely flattered. When a colleague asks to work with you or asks you to voice their first written words, it's, I can't, that's like, gotta be one of the highest compliments. So I really hope everybody... Uh, finds that story and gives it a listen it's fantastic and it's also very new it's very different than a lot of the work I do it's a younger lead he's an actor uh, there's a lot of fun like stage scenes I'm quoting some Shakespeare I really loved working on it and I hope you guys do too so that's what I'm looking for and that releases June 23rd um, in a similar vein and I know a lot of people have been talking about this one but both you and I did Aaron Malin's audio play mm-hmm. these walls can talk um that's just that's this is me supporting our own please please go check that out and uh everyone should get it because she's a really hard worker and phenomenally talented mm-hmm. um those are two that I'm really excited about that are uh that are upcoming and then as a narrator Aaron and I are recording a series for Carly Phillips the Dare Nation series they're short they're fun uh they're sexy and the first one's out, and the second one is coming out in August. So, those are those are three uh, that I would really like to throw on people's radars.
1: Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Um, and of course, the one we've got coming out in August, everyone's going to keep hearing about that one because Lauren is all over Twitter. Uh, the guy walks
2: into my bar. And if, <laughs> if you if you can't wait till that one comes out, uh, Andy and I also did a duet uh, called "The What If Guy." And you
1: recorded that after we'd recorded, right? You went. We recorded immediately after you yeah. know, I
2: recorded, and I got one of these lovely compliments from from the author when uh, Lauren Lauren said I brought so much more to the character than she thought she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this character is so much sexier and and emotional and interesting and dangerous and nice than I thought he was. <laughs> and and I, you know, when I hear something like that, I'm, I'm obviously very flattered. But I'm also like, you know, give yourself the credit because all I'm doing is translating the words. I'm reading the words, I'm trying to bring. That's all I have. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But so, what you yeah.
1: add on top, obviously, is the is the extra source. Is the extra thing the um, umami the joe Joe mommy no that sounds terrible i don't (laughs) know what uh, the joe Joe (laughs) mommy i don't want joe mommy on my food i just want to yeah it sounds that Uh, sounds like a that sounds
2: like a schoolyard diss keep that joe mommy
1: joe mommy is so bad (laughs) well joe mommy on that no i'm just gonna say thank you very much for doing this uh episode with me uh it's been great and uh it's been lovely to talk to you outside of work stuff and talk about work stuff. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you
2: for having me. Thank you for contributing to this industry and doing things that are sort of outside of just our booth time. And, um, yeah, it's a pleasure as
1: always. Likewise. And then I'll just say to anyone listening that, um, to give them a reminder that you can submit your this or that questions for me, Shane, Um, And follow us on social media on all the platforms, especially Joe and I on Twitter. And there's also the Audiobook Loving podcast. Follow that wherever you get your
0: podcasts. And thanks very much for listening. Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Loving series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Levin hopes you've enjoyed this program.